0: Now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved and said to them He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her."
1: Hitchens is the brother of the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens and he came to Australia during the Festival of Dangerous Ideas and ended up on Q&A on ABC and he was asked a question about what was the most dangerous idea that could change the world for the better and this is how he responded his response absolutely silenced the crowd he said the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the son of God and rose again from the dead That is the most dangerous idea you'll ever encounter. It alters the whole of human behavior and all of our responsibilities. It turns the universe from meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope. Therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. It's incredibly dangerous, and that's why so many people turn against it. This dangerous message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was one of the most world-changing and world-altering messages throughout the course of human history. It's a message so wonderful that if it's true, we should look into it. Uh, I'm a pastor and somehow the word got out around the world that I'm a pastor because I've started to get all these emails to my personal email directed towards me as a pastor and they're saying, you know, that their husband has died, they've got this large account, they've got millions of dollars, and they want me, a man of God, to have that money. Now, I might be intrigued to look into it, because, you know, a million dollars, that's a lot of money, that could go pretty far in ministry. Uh, except I get about, for a while, I get about five of those emails a day, all from different people with different names, with pretty much the exact same story. So somehow, my email address is in this database with all these pastors and all of these uh these emails get sent to me about uh, how much money they're going to give me if I go and follow follow up with them, and so that is kind of like a message that's almost too good to be true. It's a message that you have every right to be skeptical because there's scammers. There's people send these sorts of emails all the uh, all the time. Uh, but for instance, let's say I got a letter, and on that letter, you know, it had births, deaths, and marriages, New South Wales on it, and it said that some distant estranged relative had died and left part of their estate to their next of kin, which was me. Now, you might actually be skeptical about it, but you're gonna look into it, aren't you? You're gonna wanna see whether or not this letter is true. And the resurrection is like that. It is is too good to not wanna look into It's a message so wonderful that you ought to look into it and you ought to investigate it. And so the message of the resurrection, now, from the passage that we see here today, uh, not only does it offer us this narrative of the story of Jesus' resurrection, but it also provides us with clear clues and evidence that point us to the truthfulness and historicity of this event. And so I want you to see two things, two things we're going to see from this passage. First, the first thing that we're going to see is that the resurrection gives us something rational. And the second thing is the resurrection gives us something personal. What do I mean? Well, it's both real in the sense that you get tangible evidence that points towards the truthfulness of the uh, of the of the resurrection. You can look into it, but not only that, you can trust it. Even the most ardent skeptic can look into the resurrection and he can see good and clear evidence that this is true, but also it's transformative. It's personal. If we really understand the resurrection, we can never ever look at reality the same way again. We can never see the world in the same way. So some people think of Christians they have blind faith. That when it comes to the resurrection we have to have blind faith. We can't can't question it. We just have to believe it. Almost against the evidence. We just have to believe and that's how we know that it's true. But that's not actually the case. That's not what Christians really believe. We think that you can look into it. You can test it. We can see that it's actually true. That it holds itself out in history. Because if this event didn't happen then the whole of the Christian religion is actually in vain. The whole of the Christian message is basically worthless because it's its central key point is that Jesus really did rise again from the dead. And so we're going to have a look at some of these clues that can help us have a reasonable confidence that the resurrection actually took place. We're just going to look at a couple of those. And so God leads us to seek truth in this accounts. Notice how when the disciples go to the tomb, what do they find there? They find all the linen cloths, they find all the things there. And so it can't be the work of a grave robber because all those expensive burial linen cloths would have been, would have been pilfered. And so if this isn't the work of a grave robber, what has happened? And the first people to see Jesus risen again from the dead and it's in all the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of the accounts record that women were the first people to see Jesus risen again from the dead. Now, the first century had some pretty shameful views about women. It had some pretty terrible views about uh, whether or not a woman's uh, viewpoint was reliable. In the Talmud, it's a Jewish law. It states that any evidence which a woman gives is not valid. In fact, this was actually a really tough point for a lot of early Christians because a lot of attacks came against the church because of this very point. There was a guy named Celsus, he was a second-century critic of Christianity, and he refers to Mary Magdalene, the first to see Jesus, as a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. Now, if you were going to invent a clever myth designed to deceive people, why would the first witnesses in the first... If you're writing something in the first century, why would the first witnesses be women? Why are they here? Now, really, the only plausible explanation of why the women were the first witnesses is because it's true. It's because they really were the first people to see Jesus risen again from the dead. It really happened. But it wasn't just women, these first women that witnessed and saw Jesus, but rather it wasn't it wasn't even just the disciples. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says that hundreds of people saw Jesus on multiple occasions at one moment up to 500 people saw Jesus at one time. So it, it, when these all, all these things were written it wasn't you had to believe these things on blind faith. You could go out and ask people who had seen Jesus for their account of these things. You could go and all those are hundreds of people that when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, were still alive. Even the Apostle Paul himself saw Jesus. And so when this is written, all these things could be, all these people could be spoken to, all these things could be verified. This information could be verified. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he is a famous author. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia. And uh, there's this autobiography book I really love. I recommend reading. It's called Surprised by Joy. And C.S. Lewis had a long and hard path from being an atheist uh, to becoming a Christian, and he fought really hard against Christianity to try to prove it wrong. He didn't necessarily want it to be true, so he was trying to show whether there were flaws in the argument. And over time, he became more and more convinced of the historicity of the Bible, and more importantly, the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he remembers this account. Uh, he writes about this account. It's fascinating when his friend who he says is the hardest-boiled of all atheists I ever knew, sat in my room on the other side of the fire and remarked that the evidence for the historicity of the gospel was really surprisingly good. It was almost as if it really happened once. To understand the shattering impact of it, you would need to know the man who has certainly never since shown any interest in Christianity. If he, the cynic of cynics, the toughest of toughs, were not, as I would have put it, safe, where could I turn?" C.S. Lewis recognized that all genuine historical inquiry into this event, even the most hardest um, of critics towards Christianity, have to admit this is a really good case for this happening within history. Now, the, the evidence I've given you so far, that's just a snapshot of the evidence, but I just wanted to show you that it's out there. It's something worth looking into. It's something worth educating yourself about because if this message is true, it's too good not to look into. And if you do decide to look into it, you'll find that it's transformative. It's personal. It touches us uh, on a deeper level. Early Christianity uh, exploded onto the scene with thousands of followers claiming that Jesus rose again from the dead. And not only that he rose again from the dead, um, but their worldview virtually changed overnight because they worshiped this man, Jesus, as God. Now, if you know anything about first century Jewish understanding, you would never in a million years worship a man as God. That was blasphemy of the highest order. So for thousands of Jews overnight virtually to change their worldview and to think of Jesus as God, something amazing must have happened. Something huge must have happened for such a transformation to happen on such a deep level. And what could have convinced so many people of this event? What could have changed their life like this, other than Jesus really rising again from the dead? So let's look at the second part of this passage we have in, um, in John. Mary Magdalene was a follower of Jesus. She was one of his most devoted followers. And you can see her devotion in this passage. She's going to the tomb. She's trying to find Jesus' body. She's trying to bring spices and ointments, things that she's prepared to adorn Jesus' body with. And so she's in there and she's weeping and she's in distress. She's teacher she loves so dearly has been killed. And so she's there and Jesus comes up to her and speaks to her. And she's so distraught that she thinks Jesus is the gardener. And so she, come, she came to this garden looking for her dead rabbi, for her dead teacher, when really should have, she should have been looking for her risen saviour. Her view and understanding of Jesus was just simply too small. And at this moment, Jesus could have said to her, you know, it's me, Mary, look up. It's me, it's Jesus. But he doesn't. What does he say? He says, Mary. He says her name. He calls her by name. Well, firstly, look, Mary knew something was up because I'm sure the gardener didn't know Mary's name. But secondly, it shows that Jesus knew her personally. That she came looking for Jesus. She put herself in the vicinity of Jesus, but she would never have found Jesus unless he had revealed himself to her. She would never have seen Jesus had he not come to her. Mary had this encounter with the risen Jesus. She cries out um, in Aramaic, Rabboni, that means teacher. uh, And she is all of a sudden overjoyed that Jesus had risen again from the dead. Her small view of Jesus as this dead teacher suddenly changes. He's not dead, but alive. And so Mary puts herself in the vicinity of where Jesus is. But she never would have understood who Jesus really was unless he had revealed himself to her. She would never have found him unless he had found her first. And so Jesus really did rise again on the third day. If that really did happen, then everything changes. Everything completely changes. All of a sudden, we're no longer adrift in a world without a rudder in chaos, but rather we have hope in a God that conquered death and promises to give eternal life to all those who ask him. He promises to give us all of these things. And this is a dangerous idea. This is a very dangerous idea because it changes absolutely everything. We have hope and meaning and purpose knowing that one day there will be order in this world of chaos and that there will be life in this world of death. If Christ really did rise again from the dead, then you can have hope of life beyond this world. You can have hope of justice beyond this world. So look into these things for these things are too good not to look into. Put yourself in the vicinity of where Jesus is and you will find that Jesus will find you there. Let's pray. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you reveal yourself to us. Lord, lead us to place ourselves in the vicinity of you. Help us to look into these wonderful things and look into the message of the gospel. Help us, Lord, we pray by your spirit in Jesus' name, amen.